You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, we're going to continue through uh, Acts in our study in Acts. And so if you're visiting us, we've been in Acts for a little bit. Um, it's been a minute. And um, we're looking towards these last few chapters and so we are coming on a chapter today that I'm going to be full-on honest. When I was given these passages, and it's like, this is what I get to preach on. And coming out of last week, I'm like, okay, there's momentum. And then you get to this passage, and I go, I, I really don't have any idea what I'm going to preach on. <laughs> so like, we're, I'm going to introduce you to a couple characters, and then I, I'm not going to get all the way through the full chapter. And then it's like right at the end of the chapter, and then leading into chapter 26, like good like these really eventful things happen, which is like the best ever to preach on. And I just get to stop at verse 22. That's how I felt coming into it. But there's something really good here that as I went through my week this week, and as I sat in this, that these truths of these songs that we were able to sing this morning just, just stuck out to me. And so I'm excited about that. So if you've got a Bible, um, flip open to Acts chapter 25. And I want to read down through this chapter um, from verses 1 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, if you have a phone, we can pull that out too. We're going to have it on the screens as well. But I just want to read this continuing story. So as you guys, if you were here last week or if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know Paul's in this run to where he's been put into um, captivity, bondage, uh, in jail uh, with the Romans because the accusations that are coming from the Jews. And as a Rome, Roman, he has that uh, protection of Rome, but yet also the responsibility to be held on trial for the things he's being accused of. And so last week we, kind of, we focused around this, this uh, trial that he's stepping into, and we'll see these trials move forward over these next few chapters. And really the rest of the book of Acts is about Paul's journey through these trials. And there's something powerful you think, like, wow, there's so much going on in the midst of, even what we, we just sung about, in the midst of these storms of Paul's life. And literally, he will get, a, in the next chapter or so, we're going to see him get into a storm and get into a shipwreck. And you just think, man, this, nothing can good happen for this guy. I mean, he gets bitten by a snake. I mean, he's throwing it into the fire. I mean, there's all this crazy stuff while also being in prison through this whole time. But there's something in the story that we can glean from. It's not just history and here's what happened to Paul, but there's parts of Paul's story that we can always run to and have, have confidence in and learn from in Paul's response. So let's read down uh, verses 1 through 22 in chapter 25 and take on this next step in Paul's journey in these trials that he's being held up against these false accusations. So verse 1. For now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem, speaking of Paul, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took a seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. 
When he had arrived, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem and stood around him, and bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. And I love this statement from Paul. If I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there's nothing to to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice, who is Agrippa's sister, they had a sordid relationship, we won't talk about that today, um, arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such easels as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, who was dead but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar." Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So next Sunday, he said me, you will hear about it. Right? So I don't get to go any farther than that. That's just where it is. So let's just pray, and we'll get out of here. Um, lots going on here. And, and I think there's a point in here that, that Festus felt at a loss. I remember when, I, and I think it was before... Tara and I got married, that we went for that walk at Lake Elmo. Was that before we got married? It's amazing we're married. Um, so my wife Tara and I, before we got married, we went for a walk at this park called Lake Elmo in Minnesota where we met. And it's just one of these parks where it's all natural preserved lands, and they, they take a tractor and a mower, and they mow out a path, and they say, go for a walk, right? At that time, they didn't have a whole lot of signage. I have a pretty... A, confident reliance on my GPS ability. Uh, There's a chip somewhere in my head. I just think I can get us anywhere. Even if I know where I'll figure it out, I'll get us there. Guys, do you feel that in you? It's it's a lie. Um, Like you think it's there, but it's really not. And so I'm thinking, okay, let's just go on a walk. It's kind of around this lake. And so you start one direction. Clearly, you're going to end up back where you started. So you think. And so we go on this walk and we're just talking and we're walking and and it gets to the, it was later in the afternoon, early evening, and it gets to this point that we've been walking for a while. And it's been enjoyable. I mean, it's beautiful out there and, and, and 
we're falling in love. So, you know, all the good things, all the great Hallmark movies, you know, it's just going on, and, and we're walking through this place, but it gets to this point where we realize it's getting late, and, and it's getting dark, and if I remember correctly, there's a storm rolling in, um, and so we're, okay, well, do we just turn around and go back the way we came? Always a good idea. Uh, or do we keep going? Because we've walked probably about halfway around the lake. And so in my head, I remember saying, well, if we've come halfway, we only have halfway back. And so let's just keep going and we'll complete the loop. So we keep going and the storm rolls in and it gets darker. And the loop, I don't think, is a loop. Um, it doesn't turn into what I thought it was. And I was just determined, if, in my recollection, and Tara may come up here and say, like, yeah, that's not how it happened. That I was determined, like, if we just keep going, we'll get there. So that the land of short story, we were at a loss because we were lost. And we get to this place and we're like, we need to just find a road because we're going to die out here. This is turning into Survivor. And I'm pretty sure my wife or my soon-to-be wife is going to be the one that wins. And so I just said, well, let's beeline across this field, and we're no longer on a path, and we're just trying to find a road. And this is before smartphones, where you can just pull up the app and go, oh, I'm right there. I know where to go. Those didn't exist. I think we had a flip phone, but I don't remember, I don't, I don't remember having it. Um, but we were tromping across this tall, grassy field, which every woman loves to do when you're on a romantic walk. And we finally get to this road, and we're like, yes, a road, we can find a way back. And so we turn to walk down this road, and it leads us a few miles out of the way, only to get to another road to walk back a few miles out of the way to finally get to our parking lot well after dark. And I'm still to this day shocked that that woman married me because of that whole journey. We were at this point where in the midst of this journey, we were at a complete loss. We were like, and finally I had to go to the point, I have no idea. I have no idea, except let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. And, and she hung in there with me uh, 23 years later um, through kids and everything. And I probably still do that from time to time. Like, oh, we'll get there. Well, it'll be fine. It'll be fine, honey. It'll be great. But I wonder if there's a sense in the midst of this that even Festus felt that a little bit in that moment. You're like, I have no idea what to do with this. Have you ever felt that in any situation in life? Maybe with a spouse, maybe with your kids, uh, maybe for you, that our moms, that you, you felt that with your kids, let alone your spouse going, why aren't you helping me here? You know, and you kind of put that into place and maybe it's just where you are in your walk with Jesus and your walk on understanding this great God that is out there and you're like, I, 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 I don't know, I don't get it. I'm absolutely at a loss. And I think in the middle of this story, that's where I landed on this week. There's a point where Festus goes, I'm at a loss, and I don't know what to do. But there's two characters that are introduced into the, the timeline and the story of Paul. One is Festus. Festus replaced Felix as a procurator or the governor of the area. So he had charge to take on all the disputes and all the things that are going on in this area of the Roman Empire. Uh, we know of Felix that he wasn't the most straightforward, honest guy, even to the point that you go back and he was in, kept inviting Paul in. One, he was curious about this story of Jesus, the gospel, but he also was expecting Paul to pay him. So he's crooked a little bit. He's like, if you just give me a little bit of money, I can get you out of prison. And I just want a little bit of money. 
So Festus comes in and takes over the province, and Festus is known by other Jewish historians that he's a much more fair and, and honest leader. And you can see that through the journey of these passages, even to the point to where he went first to the province and he sat with the Jews and he said, okay, tell me what's going on. He spent time to spend with them. And then when he went to Paul and he called Paul and said, he's like, well, what do you want? Okay, do you want to go back? He gave them the options. He wanted to find the fair route. And so you see that in who he is, even to the point of going, Hey, I, I think the best thing to do here is to take uh, Paul to Caesar because that's what he called for. Now, that's a weird thing. You would think not everybody in the world has presence of the president of the United States. You know, it's it, in the sense of this is Caesar. This is the Roman Empire. But it was a, a, a very old traditional rule in the Roman Empire that if you were a Roman citizen, you could appeal to Caesar and have the presence of Caesar at a tribunal to be judged on credible criminal law or accusations that may involve death. And so every Roman citizen had this ability to sit in front of Caesar when you were accused of these types of crimes. And so Paul did that. And so Festus, in, in his leadership, wanted to bring that forward. There was some fairness and justice to his style of leadership, which is great. Felix wasn't that way, but Festus was. And so we see that introduction in him. But we also see this introduction to King Agrippa. King Agrippa was part of the Herod's family, which, again, a sordid family. Not, not the greatest line of tradition or health or wisdom in that family. Uh, they were cruel rulers in the whole line. And again, as I mentioned, King Agrippa and Bernice, which was his sister, but they had a very sordid relationship. And uh, not only were they family, but they were family. Is that enough? And so there's, the King Agrippa was put in charge of this area. But one of the key things that he was in charge of was the responsibility of the temple. And so his interest in this case would be this, that Paul, one of the things Paul was being accused of was um, defiling the temple by bringing a Greek man into the temple when he was in uh, the Nazarene vow with the other young men for purification. And so Agrippa had some interest in this, like, well, if that's true and I'm in charge, I want to make sure that I'm doing my job to, to hear what is happening in this place. And to know that I can stand in front of whoever may call me out and say, well, do you want to know what's going on? Are you at all aware? What are you doing about it? So King Agrippa comes into the storyline and Fess is like, well, you're here in town. So let me just tell you what's been going on. And they have this conversation. And then we see Agrippa say, man, I'm curious. Let me hear from this man. And again, we'll get to that next week. But as you walk down through this whole journey, Paul is in the center of this story. And I can only imagine that what he may have felt. If I were Paul, I would look at it and go, Lord, what, what's going on? I, 
I'm just trying to do your work. I'm just trying to move this gospel forward. I'm just trying to establish churches throughout these cities and these areas so that they may know you, that they can hear of the powerful story of Jesus, that he came and lived this incredible life, that he gave his life up on the cross so that the penalty of sin can be paid and that he conquered death so that we can have eternal life through him. I just want people to know this Jesus, this Jesus that that you came and you met me on that road and you said, Paul, I'm gonna change things for you. I'm gonna take you, I'm gonna change your name. I'm gonna change your future. I'm gonna change where you're going. I'm gonna make all of these things different. And not only just for you, I'm gonna change the world through you. And here's Paul sitting in prison going, this isn't what I had mapped out. This isn't what I had planned. That would be my response if I were in Paul's sandals. But Paul knew something. Paul understood something, and he believed in something so powerful. And that takes us back to Acts 23, verse 11, where Paul is with the Lord, and it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you also must testify in Rome. God gave him a promise. God said, Paul, you're doing exactly what I've called you to do. The day on that road when I changed your name and I said things are going to be new, I gave you a promise. And I'm promising it to you again, that I will go with you through every trial, through every storm, and everything to come. And Paul is holding on to that promise. When he maybe should have, in all of his humanity, felt at a complete loss, he held on to that promise in confidence. In confidence to stand up against his accusers for two years in prison and say, I know I'm on the path that God has for me. It's not what I planned. It's not what I hoped for. It's not what I expected. It's not what I anticipated. But I trust in his promise that he is still doing what he promised, that he's still fulfilling the work that he has for me, for his church, for this world, through him. Now, here's some really cool things about Paul's situation that we can't lose sight of. Up to this point, Paul had written six letters to the New Testament churches, six of them. He had written to encourage them, to empower them, to prepare them for the lives of walking with Jesus and understanding what it means to be a church. He wrote 13 total letters. So what's really cool about this story that's kind of under the the layers and under the pages that we don't see out here, that while Paul was in prison during this time, between the time that he was put in with Felix and the time that he sat in Rome, he wrote seven more letters to the church. And I love this thought. This has been rolling around in my brain and my heart for the last couple of weeks, that isn't it awesome that in Paul's circumstance that God used the Roman government to put him in prison because if Paul had gone back to Jerusalem, he would have been killed. If Paul had been killed, we wouldn't have seven letters of the Bible, let alone may we even have this at all. 
But, but God said, hey, I, I am sending you to Rome. I'm going to get you there. And as Paul went, the gospel was on the move in this way, that he presented the, the gospel to Felix, a Roman procurator, a governor. And following Felix, he was able to present the gospel to Festus, the next Roman procurator, the governor, and then to King Agrippa, as we're going to see in the next coming weeks, and then eventually to every leader on his way to Caesar. Why? Because he was protected in prison. Sometimes God promises things and puts things around you like, I don't understand this. This is not the most comfortable circumstance, but it's your, for your protection. Say, I'm guarding you from what's going on around you. I put you in this place for a reason. It may not be the most comfortable circumstance, but I'm still providing for you through the circumstance, and it's for a purpose. Hey, and while you're there, I got things for you to do. For Paul, I, have, I need you to write seven more letters to the church because these letters are not only going to encourage the churches that, that you have been part about planning, but they're going to encourage the churches for thousands of years to come. They're going to empower believers to live like Jesus, to live in the promises of what is to come. And so I'm going to keep you here. I'm going to keep you here in prison because you're protected from those that want to kill you here. This may not be comfortable, but there's protection here. And there's a purpose here. And so for Paul, I think he goes, I'm not at a loss. I know exactly what's going on because he trusted in God's promise. May not have loved the circumstances, may not have loved the environment, but God continued to provide. God provided through Paul to Paul through this season to, to bring people to him, to encourage him to feed him, to help cover his needs, even to the point that he wasn't always shackled against a brick wall in a dungy uh, basement someplace in a castle or whatever, that he was placed in an upper room and, and guarded by the Roman guard, but he was able to receive visitors, visitors that he was able to share the gospel with and encourage and empower to go out and continue to share the gospel with others. Paul's circumstance, although it seems really crummy, wasn't really all that bad. Even though it feels like, man, he was at a loss and he couldn't find his way, he knew exactly where he was going. Why? Because that's what God promised. And that's what I love about our situation too as in modern church. We have all the letters of Paul. We have the whole word of God from Genesis to Revelation. We know the promise. We know what's coming. We know what's happened. And it's right here for us to hold onto, to eat, to be consuming, to hold and to carry forward and to let other people know about. We know our purpose as the church. And that is good. Amen? We hold to the truths and we stand on this foundation as something that transforms our lives and through that transform, transformation overflows from our lives to others. That these commitments that we make as parents is exactly what Paul is doing. He's writing us to, to, to breathe in the word and the truth and the, the, the beautiful life of following Jesus into our kids so that they can carry this forward from generation to generation to generation. For long after I'm gone, I hope that my daughters will carry forward the gospel to their friends and to their neighbors, and, that, and then one day, if God blesses them with children, that they will share that with their kids, and from generation to generation, it'll share. I am um, honored and humbled by the fact that in my family, I'm fourth generation to be ordained as a pastor in the church. 
That's something that has been so meaningful for me, especially in the, over the last few years as I've seen our grandparents, both my Tara's side and my side, pass away. To see the generations before me move into eternity with Jesus, but to leave a torch and say, carry it forward. And that's exactly what Paul is moving the gospel forward for God's purpose and God's plan. And I love it. And so I was reading through it and preparing for this week and, and going, man, this is a really cool story and there's these underlying things that Paul's writing these letters and, 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 and things are happening and this is a promise that God has and there's, there's something there. But it, I kept coming back to this one verse. Two, really. Verses 19 and 20. And I'm gonna read them again. It says, rather, and this is... Uh, Festus describing the situation to Agrippa. Rather, when the accusers stood up, I'm sorry, rather they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, who is dead but whom Paul asserted to be alive, being at a loss how to investigate these questions. I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and to be tried in regarding them. Here's the two things that stood out to me right in the middle of these passages. And I really believe that this is what the Lord has for us as a church. That at times, we feel like we're at a loss. Maybe we forget God's promise. Maybe we don't fully understand it. Maybe we're having a hard time understanding really who Jesus is and, and, and whether this whole story about the death and resurrection is really true. Maybe we've, this has been in our families for so long that now it's moved from being purposeful and relational to just traditional. And then we just show up at church and, and, and we kind of do the thing and we sing some songs and we, we greet one another and we do child dedications and we, we honor people in our church and, and then we're like, okay, we go home and we get some lunch and we take a nap. So good, God gives us naps, it's a good thing. But that's all that we do. And we kind of feel in those moments, maybe in those quiet spaces by ourselves, and we ask this question, is this all there is? I mean, is this it? Maybe we feel that in our marriages sometimes, that we look around and we're like, I, is this what marriage is? Because this is hard. I thought this was supposed to be so good. Everyone told me, like, it's going to be so good. And then you get like 30 minutes into it and you realize, whoa, this is really hard. Do you remember, if, so it's, if you've been married for a while, do you remember that first 30 minutes? You're like, it's a little bit, you're like shaking in your boots going, this is hard. And maybe that first 30 minutes is great because you're at a dance and you're eating food and everyone's giving you all these gifts and it's awesome. Only to realize that half the gifts you're going to give back, Right? But then you get 30 days into it and you get home and, and you move into the same house and you start sharing the same bathroom and you start seeing that the other person doesn't roll the toilet paper the same way you do. And this is a big life deal. Is this really all that it is? And maybe for some of you, you get to the point you have kids and you're like, oh, kids are such a blessing from the Lord. Are they really? <laughs> I mean, seriously, let's, let's ask that question and I wonder. And you get up to the point like, okay, we got past the, the terrible twos. They're not so terrible. The threes and the fours, oh, goodness gracious, they're hard. And like you get past that, like, oh, my kids are cute. They love it. And then you're like, okay, there's like a, a calm zone. And then they become teenagers. And it all starts all over again. And then they become young adults. And you realize that they should be out on their own, but they're not. They just keep coming home. 
And I'm not even there yet. I was just that guy who kept coming home. But there's times when we feel like, is this all there is? Is this what life is giving me? Is this what life is offering me? And we're at a loss. And then on the hard side of it, sometimes we give up and say, I can't do it anymore. I'm not going to write any letters. I'm just going to sit here in prison and rot because this is just life. Or I'm going to run. I'm going to run as far away as I possibly can because maybe if this is what life is here, if I run for my marriage, if I run for my kids, if I run for my job, if I run from this city that hasn't been good to me, if I run from this church that just feels off, if I run and I run and I run, I can go find it better. It's going to be better over there. But the problem with that is that if you run without trusting in God's promise, you just carry your baggage, you drag it with you to where you go. And there's something here that I imagine that Festus felt. I have no idea what to do this. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I recognize I'm supposed to be responsible for it. And in the Roman Empire, if you don't do your job and you don't do it correctly, your life is at stake. It's not just the people around you that you're ruling. It's your life that is at stake. You will be judged for how you lead. And Festus felt that that pressure. If I'm going to send this guy to Rome to speak with the emperor, with Caesar, I better be able to have the best report possible to go with him. Because if it gets there and I don't get it, and that's all, it's like, I don't know, Caesar. I, I don't know. I'm at a loss. I don't get it. That's not going to go well for me. He's at a loss, maybe like we've been. But there's something here that I think Festus missed, and I don't want us to miss it. This is the most beautiful part of this passage, in my opinion. Right in the middle of it, it's about a certain Jesus. That's exactly how Luke wrote it. This whole thing is about a certain Jesus. This Jesus who came and said, I get that you are confused. I get that you're at a loss. I get that everything around you just doesn't feel like it should or it's not going like you planned or this came along and that one cut off your knees or whapped you upside the head and you're like, what is happening? But right in the middle of it, there's this certain Jesus that is assuring that the gospel will remain on the move because there's a promise that he will fulfill his word until he returns. And that is good. There's a certain Jesus that will speak in when we need hope. He will help you understand the hope that you need that is in him. There's a certain Jesus right at the center of it saying, I have not just left you, but I'm leaving with you the Holy Spirit that will help transform you to understand more who I am so that you can walk and run with me towards the promise of eternity that is ahead. There's a certain Jesus right there in the middle of every one of our stories. So I want to encourage us all to not turn as Festus turned, but to turn to the one that's right in the middle of the story. And that's Jesus. We need to run and seek him in all that we have in all that we, we can go, when we feel at the most point of our loss, we need to run to Jesus. And that's hard. And that does not mean that everything is going to turn out 
the way you hope or the way you want. But it means I'm going to stand on the rock, the foundation that is Christ. We sang that, the cornerstone, and trust that no matter what the storm is, that that stone will not move. Matthew 6, 33, it's going to be on the screens, says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God's promises, when you seek him out, he will give you his good. He will make things right in his way, and he will give them to you. He will add them to you. But it's all dependent on one thing, that we seek him out first. We don't try to solve the problem when we're lost. We don't try to figure out all the answers when we're lost. We don't just put our hands up in the air and go, fine, I'm just going to run away when we're lost. We run to Jesus and seek him first. Colossians 3, 1 through 5, this is one of my favorite passages of, in the whole Bible. This whole chapter is great, 1 through 17, awesome. I just want to read you verses 1 through 4, and it says this, If you have then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Jesus, right in the middle, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. There's the promise. I'm telling you, church, life is not gonna throw you everything you want. It's not gonna go the way we expect. Sometimes we're going to end up in the middle of a storm. Sometimes we're going to end up in a place that we feel like is prison. Sometimes we're going to want to run. Sometimes we're going to try to solve. Sometimes we're going to try to make the resolution come all on our own power. But we don't have to do that. If we just run to Jesus in the midst of the gospel moving forward and trust in that promise that at the end, through him, in a relationship with him, we have that promise of living with him. And that's what matters the most of all things. Let's help our kids run there. Let's help our spouses run there. Let's support our moms and our dads and our grandmas and grandpas to run there. Our brothers, our sisters, our friends, let's help them run there to Jesus. And oftentimes it just means we just have to sit. Sit on the rock that is Christ right in the middle of it all and say, God, I submit to you. I don't get it. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know where it's going to go. But wait, I do. Because your promises is in relationship with you through your death and resurrection, through the power of receiving and living in the gospel, I have eternity with you. Our relationships on this earth may not work out well, but my relationship with you is eternal, and that works out great. My, my, my earthly home may be falling apart, but my eternal home is strong and secure and beautiful. The way I look at myself, my own anxiety, my own fear, my own hurt is ugly and, and gross at times, but in you, in eternity, it is made whole. But even you will take my ugliness and my grossness, my broken down house and, and, and my hurt, and you'll still use me to do great things for your gospel, to keep the gospel on the move, because Jesus is right in the center of it. Right in the center of it. So will you all do me a favor and just close your eyes? And I want to encourage you with no matter where you are, 
that we celebrate this Jesus that's right in the center of it. And maybe there's something that we need to give and say, God, I'm trying. I'm trying so hard to wrap my head around this on my own. I'm trying to solve everything else on my own. I'm trying to fix this all on my own. And he will may have a part for you to play, but we need to first seek the kingdom. We need to first set our things and our eyes on things that are above, on Jesus, who's right in the center of it, and trust that when we run to Jesus, the gospel will always be on the move in us and through us. And that is exactly where Paul is. So what do you need to give up to God right now? And say, God, I'm gonna seek you first right now. And trust for you to do immeasurably more right now. And in your heart, I wanna encourage you to offer that up to him. Maybe for some of you, that means giving your life over to Jesus, to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. And if that's you, it's as simple as this. God, I recognize I'm trying to do everything on my own to fill the void, but all I need is you. I recognize I'm a sinner, but all I need is you. I recognize you died on the cross and you rose from the grave and you gave me a promise and all I need is you. Lord, I accept you today. And if that's you, I wanna talk to you before you leave today. I want to help you start that path. Maybe for some of us, we're in the middle of that journey with Jesus and we're like, is this really what it is? Continue to run to Jesus and seek him first. It's not going to make everything perfect. One of his promises was things will be hard when you follow me. But the promise stands secure that eternity is coming and I've already won the battle. I've already won the war. I've got this. I've got this. We all stand with me as we just close our service. I want to read a benediction over us as a church as we go, that as we go, we celebrate our families, our, our moms, the influential women in our lives, that we have this place, this confidence in who Jesus is and what God is going to do in and for our lives. And I want to read this to you as, as an encouragement as we go that we celebrate together the goodness and the grace of God in our lives and what he's doing. It's right out of Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ, right in the middle, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power that is Jesus at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. And the church said, Amen.